You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The title of my message tonight, Forgiveness is Expensive. In Leviticus 17, verse 11, we read, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Father in heaven, I pray that you would give us wisdom now, that you would speak to our hearts, Lord, that you would help us to see an event that occurred many, many years ago now. We would see its relevance for our lives even today. And Lord, I pray that if there's some under the sound of my voice who've never been cleansed by the blood, that tonight would be their night. We ask it in your name. In the name of Jesus, the powerful, matchless name of Jesus, amen. The Major League Baseball season is upon us, if you haven't noticed. The home opener was last night. I love baseball, and I'm excited about the Atlanta Braves this season. But i got to tell you right now, I won't be going to too many games. And the reason? It's just too expensive. Good seats along the baselines at Truish Park run $125 a, $125 a piece. Add $50 for parking under a covered garage. Everybody needs a Coke and a dog and a tub of popcorn. And then there's the shared program. It's a shared program in my family after we've spent all that money. Add it all up and the game is going to cost a family of four six. That is way too spendy even for a devoted fan like me. In fact, if you'll listen closely to what some of the Braves fans sing during the seventh inning stretch, it goes like this. Take me out to the ball game. Take me to Truist Park. Buy me a Coke and a dog on a bun. Pockets are empty before the first run. But we'll chop, chop, chop for the Bravos. If they don't win, it's a shame. For it's one, two, three months to save until the next ball game. (laughs) For me, a professional baseball game is much too expensive. I'll just stay home and watch it on TV. In fact, when you think of spending, numerous items come to mind. That prom dress your daughter wants, it's pretty spendy. A luxury automobile, diamond earrings, steak and lobster, sadly, a gallon of gasoline. A gourmet coffee at six bucks, I I mean Starbucks. Ooh, it's all expensive. But of all, more than all the above, there is one commodity that is extremely costly Forgiveness is expensive. 
Once a doctor's wife was vacationing with friends in Europe when she saw this gorgeous tapestry. It was the perfect fit for her home. The one problem, though, was the price tag. It read $25,000. But she sent a quick message to her husband to see if she could make the purchase. Well, he quickly texted back, no, price too high. But you see, the doc made a mistake. After writing so many prescriptions, he should have known better. He left out the comma after no, so that his text read, no price too high. It was a nod for her to go ahead. She bought the tapestry for 25 grand. As for the husband, it was an extremely expensive mistake. And yet there is one item that we would do well to obtain at all costs. Indeed, no price is too high. Forgiveness is expensive, but nothing is as important. Now you may disagree with me that forgiveness is a costly item. In fact, you may argue that salvation and forgiveness are free. That they cost absolutely nothing to be a Christian. And I agree, salvation is free. But free does not mean cheap. God's mercies come to us free of charge, but they are gifts that cost God a very, very steep price. In Exodus chapter 34, verse 20, the Lord said to his people Israel, And none shall appear before me empty-handed. In other words, no one just sashays up to God with nothing to offer him. Sin incurs a debt. If you sinned, you owe God. And if you're a human being, I know that you've sinned. If you won't admit it, I'll ask your mom. She'll spill the beans on you. Better than that, I'll ask your high school teacher. If you're married, I'll ask your spouse. And if I still don't get a confession, I'll ask your teenagers if you've ever blown it. Case closed. Yes, we have all blown it. We've all violated God's boundaries. We've strived to live up to His standards and we've pulled up short of His aspirations. By our own fault, we ended up less than his best. And now we can't just prance into his presence as if nothing's wrong. We have sinned. I'll never forget the day my wife approached one of our sons and asked him why he had decided to carve up the antique mahogany bedroom set with his pocket knife. Oh, he didn't do that. He denied that he had done that. Well, let's think this thing through a bit. (laughs) Who now in the family might carve the letters N-I-C-K into the surface of the mahogany chest? Not Z-A-C-K or M-A-C-K, surely not D-A-D. No, N-I-C-K was guilty of a major infraction. But he was waltzing around the house like nothing had happened until his CSI mom pointed to the evidence. Hey, God knows that we've all sinned, and we know it too. And God is angry at our pride and our selfishness. We we can't sugarcoat it. We can't play dumb. 
When we come to him, it's up to us to bring something to the table that will repair the damage we've done and make amends for our sin. As the Lord said to Israel, none shall appear before me empty-handed. You know, whenever I play Monopoly, I always like to accumulate a few of those get-out-of-jail-free cards. They're nice to have when you, get, when you end up land, landing in the slammer. All you have to do is just pull out your card and presto, you're covered. I like knowing that if I sin, I'll also be covered. So did Adam and Eve. When they sinned in the Garden of Eden, they realized that they needed to be covered. It suddenly hit them that they were naked and lacking and insufficient and inadequate. And their reaction to their sin was to cover up. You remember when God came looking for them, they didn't walk up to him as if nothing was wrong. They sewed together fig leaves to hide their nakedness. It was an attempt to cover over or make amends for their awful mistake, as well as the shame and self-centeredness that it had caused. You know, which brings up an interesting observation. Do you realize that man is the only creature on earth that has to go outside of himself to obtain covering? Birds manufacture their own feathers. Animals grow their own fur. Lizards and reptiles develop their own scales. But to cover ourselves, humans have to have something of value. We have to go out and find something of value external to our own person that we can bring to God and that God will accept as a sacrifice for our sin. And according to our text, that something is very, very expensive. I like to know that I'm covered. It's vital to be assured that on the day I stand before my Creator and give an account for my life, I'll have a get-out-of-hell-free card. And if you don't have one of those cards tonight, I'm going to tell you how you can get one. And yet first, I want everyone to realize how extremely expensive those cards actually are. And if you have one, I hope that you appreciate it supremely. Well, in tonight's passage, Leviticus 17, God explains why the cost of forgiveness is so steep. Verse 11 tells us, It is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Here's a 3,000-year-old verse that assumes modern medical knowledge. Verse 14 of the text also says of the blood, It is the life of all flesh. Its blood sustains its life. If my doctor had written this text, he couldn't have said it better. We now know that the blood brings oxygen and proteins and nutrients to the organs and tissues of our bodies. It's the blood that sustains life and causes growth and promotes health. Five liters of blood circulate within a human body. And just as an automobile engine would lock up without oil, likewise your body would shut down without its blood. Have your blood drawn. Send it to the laboratory. And the test will reveal everything that's going on in your, bloody, your body. The blood is a tell-all. Health and nourishment flow through the blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood. And since Leviticus insists 
that the life is in the blood, that's why a sacrificial animal killed on the altar wasn't smothered. Its neck wasn't broken. No, its throat was slit so that it bled out. The absence of blood or the life is what constituted death. For from the beginning of time, God had said, the wages of sin is death. And this is what drives up the high cost of forgiveness. God told Adam and Eve that if they ate the forbidden fruit, they would surely die. That's why to make amends for your sin, a death has to occur. As one author puts it, sin leads to death. It will not be denied. In the end, sin requires either your own death or the blood of an innocent proxy. And fig leaves will never suffice. When Adam and Eve covered themselves with leaves, God said, you got it all wrong. He slaughtered an animal Instead, God clothed the couple, the guilty couple, in leather. (laughs) Sin was covered by skin. The debt of sin, death, had to be paid. Blood had to be shed. Sin always gets pelted with a sacrifice. Leviticus 17 verse 11 reads, It is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Here the term atonement in Hebrew, kafar, it means to cover. Thus blood is God's get out of hell free card. It's what covers our sin. The blood of a sacrifice is what makes up for the rebellion and the mistakes that we've made. Hebrews 9 verse 22 in the New Testament puts it this way. Without shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Spilt blood is the high cost of forgiveness. And this is the point that the book of Leviticus hammers home over and over and over again. The price tag for our pardon is written in blood red. Forgiveness is very expensive. In the first seven chapters of Leviticus, God gives the Hebrew people five different types of sacrifice. Four were animal sacrifices and involved the shedding of blood. And in each of the four, similar protocols were followed. Let me read to you Leviticus chapter 1, verses 10 through 13. It describes the grisly procedure. If his offering is of the flocks, of the sheep, or of the goats, as a burnt sacrifice, he shall bring a male without blemish. He shall kill it. On the north side of the altar before the Lord. And the priest Aaron's son shall sprinkle its blood all around on the altar. And he shall cut it into its pieces with its head and its fat. And the priest shall lay them in order on the wood that is on the fire upon the altar. But he shall wash the entrails and the legs with water. And then the priest shall bring it all and burn it on the altar. It is a burnt sacrifice an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. Now imagine being told by God to pick out an animal from your small herd. This was obviously a financial cost to you. Oh, but this is going to cost you far more before you're done. You're told that you should give to God your best, and so you choose the pick of the litter, 
Thus the little lamb that you choose was your favorite. Perhaps you were there when this little lamb was born. You probably gave it a nickname when you played with him as a child. You watched it learn to stand and stumble along at times and frolic in the grass. This little lamb was like a pet to you. But lately you've been doing some stupid stuff. You've sinned against God and against other people. And the priest tells you that God isn't happy with you. That he's upset with what you've been doing. And to avoid his judgment, you need to offer a sacrifice. And it's got to be the best of the flock. So you put a leash on little Rover. And you walk him down to the tabernacle. There you lay your hands on his head after confessing your sin. The priest then hands you a razor-sharp butcher knife. You gulp hard. And in one bold stroke, you slit that lamb's throat. And the animal that you've loved and treated, maybe like your own family, bleeds out on the ground. And all the while, you are slaughtering the household pet. You're struggling with your emotions. You can bet you are. Up until now, you've known intellectually that the wages of sin is death. But is this fair? This little lamb, he's totally innocent. Why should he suffer? If I'd realized that this is what was going to happen, I would have thought twice before I did what I did. See, now you're watching your pet squirm in pain. You hear it scream and then whimper and then gasp its last breath and then slump over in a motionless heap. You smell the stench of the blood as the priest drains it into a saucer. Then you're told to chop up up the carcass in pieces and give it to the priest to carefully position it on the altar so that he can burn it. Your little lamb is now lamb chops and it's your fault. And you're the one that's now whimpering and squirming and trying to dry your tears for it's hit you. That your sin and stupidity took an innocent life. You realize that this lamb received the penalty that you deserved. That he paid the consequences for you. Hey, no one who regularly went to the tabernacle to offer a sacrifice ever shrugged off their sin as if it were no big deal. Nobody ever sacrificed that lamb and then said, Oh, I'm not hurting anybody. Are you kidding? A trip to the tabernacle was a reminder that sin does hurt. To cover sin, blood has to be spilled. Suddenly, what you knew in your head now hits you in your gut. And this bloody experience before the altar causes you to appreciate the gift of forgiveness that you've received on a deeper, more emotional level. You're now thinking, my sin sent an innocent lamb to the slaughter? Sin must be serious. Forgiveness must be expensive. And boy, I must be very blessed. When we come to worship today, when we come to worship God, we walk into a sanitized sanctuary. Our floor is pretty clean. Hopefully. 
The sights and the sounds and the smells that you're subject to are all pleasant. You didn't have to step over a single carcass to get into the sanctuary tonight. Isn't that something? Blood and guts aren't splattered on the walls of of your church. Oh, but if you had gone into the Old Testament tabernacle to worship, it would have been like walking into the meat market at Kroger. Or better yet, into a slaughterhouse for beef cattle. Blood splatters were everywhere. It looked like a crime scene. Death was all around you. Rather than cool music to worship God with, you would have heard the screams of the animals in their final throes of death. Today's worship is G-rated compared to the Old Testament's R-rating for violence. Walk by the Old Testament tabernacle and it would have looked like the site of a drive-by shooting. It would have been a bloody mess. As author Kent Hughes puts it, the Old Testament sacrificial system was a gory affair indeed. During the thousand plus years of the Old Covenant, there were more than a million animal sacrifices. So considering that each bull sacrifice spilt a gallon or two of blood, and each goat a quart, the Old Covenant truly rested on a sea of blood. For 1,500 years, God drilled down on His people on the severity of their sin. He ingrained in them the necessity of a sacrifice and the costliness of forgiveness. No graduate of His sacrificial system would ever have taken Lightly, the bloody and painful and ugly consequences of sin. Don't tell me that forgiveness is not expensive. It's extremely expensive. According to the Old Testament, each year the tabernacle ceremonies required 1,300 animals just to keep up with the sacrifices required on holy days every year. And that didn't include the many individual sacrifices offered throughout the year for individuals. If you don't think forgiveness is expensive, just ask Rosebud or Betsy or Mary's little lamb. When God forgave a person of a sin, you knew that a death had to have occurred. A bloody, gruesome, violent death had to have happened. An innocent life had to have been extinguished. Wow, that's costly. You know, people tell me all the time, well, Sandy, I live a pretty good life. I don't beat my wife or kids. I don't cheat anybody. I've never pulled the trigger of a gun. I go to church whenever I get a chance. Hell is for bad people. I'll be all right. I'll make it. Hey, I'm doing my best. There's just one hole in your argument. The wages of sin is not giving your best. God didn't say, if you sin, and then the remainder of your time you try hard and go to church and stay out of trouble and be a decent person, you'll be saved. He didn't say that. When Adam sinned, God told he and Eve, you shall surely die. Sin is only covered by death and death alone. A pardon is far more costly than a few good works you might do here and there. God says that if you sin, somebody's got to die. It is the blood 
that makes atonement for the soul. Imagine in Hebrew, a Hebrew in Old Testament times, imagine him walking, him or her walking into the door of the tabernacle empty-handed. God said, you don't do that, but pretend they tried. All he or she had to offer were just lame excuses or hollow promises. God, I just don't know what got into me. Please forgive me. God, I'll do better next time. God, when I get that new job, then I'll make the changes I need to make. God, normally I'm a pretty good person. God, sure I sin, but doesn't everyone? God, please, I'm working on my problems. You come to the tabernacle spouting that kind of nonsense, and you'll get laughed off the stoop. The priest will have but one question for you. Where's the beef? That's right. At the tabernacle door, empty hands look foolish. There it's obvious what you need if you want to be in a right relationship with God. Forgiveness is expensive. And if you want to be assured that your sin is forgiven, you have to come with a sacrifice. And the same is true today. Forgiveness is free because the price has been paid for us. Oh, but it is far from cheap. The high cost of forgiveness is the spilt blood of a sinless sacrifice. It's interesting that 1,500 years of bloody offerings came to an end shortly before, actually shortly after the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. The sacrificial system closed its doors in 70 A.D., The Romans sacked Jerusalem and they dismantled the temple and its altar. No longer did the Jews have a place where they could go and present their sacrifices to God. And over the years, to replace those sacrifices, Jews have come up with alternatives to the practice. Jews now believe that they can obtain God's forgiveness because of their good deeds or their charitable gifts or their fastings and their prayers, or their observance of rituals and holy days. But the Old Testament of the Bible, hey, the Jews' own scripture calls for the death of a sacrifice. Without a blood covering, Judaism is a hollow and impotent religion. This is why God shut down the practice of animal sacrifice. 1,500 years of conditioning had been enough To show mankind our need. And at God's appointed time, He sent His only Son, Jesus, to be the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus put the sins and crimes of the entire world on His own shoulders. And He offered them up on a rugged wooden cross to bleed to death for you and me. It was His forerunner, John the Baptist, who pointed to Jesus and cried out, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Though the Jews and their priests didn't know it at the time, the animal sacrifices they had offered repeatedly year after year had all been symbolic of Jesus. The sacrifice had to be a male without blemish. And of course, Jesus was a man without sin. 
the sacrifice was slaughtered on the north side of the altar. And Mount Calvary is situated in Jerusalem, north of the site of the temple. The sacrifice was laid on the wood that was upon the altar. And for Jesus, the altar was a wooden cross. And what every Israeli did to their little lamb at the tabernacle altar, the Roman soldiers, by Pilate's order and by the insistence of the Jews, did to Jesus. Nails pierced his hands and feet. A crown of thorns punctured his brow. A spear slashed a gaping hole in his side as the executioners whipped his back into a mass of blood and shredded tissues. His beard was even plucked out and his face beaten beyond recognition. Jesus looked like the mangled victim in a car wreck. As if his body had been severed with metal and punctured with shattered glass. The sacrifice was slaughtered. The sinless, innocent blood of Jesus was splattered all over Pilate's courtyard. Drop by drop, puddled up on the floor of the fortress. His sinless blood trickled through Jerusalem's streets and down its gutters as he bled out carrying his cross to the place of execution. And on the top of Mount Calvary, blood mixed with dirt. What blood was left in his beaten body stained the wood to which he was nailed. In a word, the crucifixion of Jesus was a grueling and gruesome ordeal. Literally, The Lamb of God became lamb chops. If you'd been there, if you had been there at the foot of the cross, you would have never again mistaken free for cheap. You would have witnessed what God did to His only Son to earn forgiveness for you and me. And you would have whispered four words, no price too high. You would realize once and for all that forgiveness is incredibly expensive. And you would have walked away thinking, wow, he took what I deserved. He died in my place. You would have never again walked around smugly suggesting that it didn't really matter if you sinned. Oh, it was just a little sin. Oh, sin is no big deal. Oh, my sin isn't hurting anybody. Wait a minute. Your sin just killed Jesus. And I'll tell you what else. You wouldn't stand there and let this sacrifice go to waste. You would stop clinging to your good deeds. And you'd drop all your excuses. And you'd realize just how worthless your ambitions and promises actually are. And you would cling to the Savior on the cross with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. That's what you'd do. You would value The sacrifice of Jesus above your most cherished possessions, if you really understood it. You'd pin all your hopes for now and in the future on His grace and His mercy. Remember, no one ever sashays up to God empty-handed. We've all sinned, and we're depending on something to cover our sin. Watch your get-out-of-hell-free card. If it's good deeds, or hollow excuses, or noble ambitions and promises, then forget it. That is not what God requires. 
If that's what you present to God, you'll get laughed off the stoop. It costs more to be saved. Where's the beef? Where's the blood? Here's the invitation tonight. Come to Jesus. Hey, hey, from wherever you are spiritually tonight, please come to Jesus. If you're coming for the first time, come to Jesus. If if you've been trying to come and you've taken one step forward and two steps backward and Come to Jesus tonight. If you've been there before, but you've drifted away, come to Jesus. Jesus is your answer. He's God's gift to you. He's God's solution to our problem. What Jesus did on the cross was such a spendy sacrifice. It was a costly and valued and precious offering. Nothing else needs to be added to what Jesus did for you and I to be forgiven. Salvation is extremely expensive. But Jesus paid our price in full. And here's the free part. Since you can add nothing to your salvation, nor can you do anything to improve on his forgiveness, God offers it to us free of charge. All we got to do is take it. Your only requirement is to lay hold of Jesus by faith and trust him with your life. Here's how you obtain your very own get-out-of-hell-free card. Romans 10 verse 13 tells us, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Tonight, will you make that call? Father, we thank you for speaking to our hearts tonight. And Lord, I would be remiss if I didn't follow up this message tonight with an invitation. And I would just ask if there's someone here tonight that would say, I need to come to Jesus. Maybe you need to come to Jesus for the first time tonight. Maybe you need to come to Jesus for the 200th time tonight. But you know one thing, you've sinned. And what you've done and are doing is not covering it. And you want to be forgiven tonight. But you know it's expensive And it's been paid for by another. And you want to receive it. So if you come to Jesus, if you want to come to Jesus tonight, and you want to say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Wash me clean. Make me whole. I want you to raise your hand right now. And you and I, we're going to pray together. Great. Good. 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 Great. Anybody else? Wonderful. Great. Anybody else? Great. Just slip your hand up. I'll see it. You can slip it down. Anybody else? A number of you want to pray. So let's together. You can just pray. You don't have to pray out loud. You can pray. Jesus can hear your heart. Let's just pray together. Dear Lord Jesus. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying in my place. And tonight I come to you. For I have nowhere else to turn. I can't do it myself. But you've done it for me. And tonight I receive your blood. 
Please forgive me of my sin. Please heal me and make me whole. I give my life to you. And I trust in you with all my heart. Thank you for your mercy toward me. And I'm going to live my life like I'm grateful. Because I am. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Sandy Adams. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor Sandy's teaching ministry by visiting sandyadams.org.